Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians, page 1161. Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Thanks, Anna, for reading that. Uh, Do keep it open in front of you. Let me pray uh, for us as we come to look at those words. Uh, Father, we've just sung, teach us full obedience. And we pray in these words uh, as we read them and consider them. As you speak to us, you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You cause us to trust the Lord Jesus 
and want to live for him. Amen. Uh, Well, on these four weeks leading up to Vision Sunday, we're thinking again about four foundations um, four foundations to our life as a church family. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's great that you're here, but please understand, just for these four weeks, we're, we're thinking very much as a church family about our life together. So we hope you'll get something out of listening in on that. But uh, we're thinking about things as a church family together. Two weeks ago, we thought about belonging in Christ. And last week, uh, we thought about being a church community together. And then this week, we're thinking, as it says on the screen, about maturity don't know if you remember that feeling. Perhaps you had this like me growing up. Maybe you had friends around and you were playing upstairs and something fell. Somebody fell and hurt themselves or something was knocked over and was broken and there was that feeling of shock and you thought, it's all right. The grown-ups are downstairs and they'll come up in a moment and fix everything. And then you get to that stage in life where you realize there isn't any grown-ups downstairs anymore. It's just me. (laughs) I'm the grown-up now, and something's broken. You know that feeling? Do you feel like a grown-up yet? Those of you who are older, do you feel uh, mature? Uh, we're going to be thinking about that. There's, there's many delightful aspects of watching little ones grow, grow up, isn't there? And, and I think a really fun one is seeing imagination develop. You know this kind of thing? Uh, the lounge of the garden uh, that becomes a garage where cars are fixed. Uh, where a tea party is held and gossip is shared, a hospital where heads are bandaged or, or little teddy bears are fixed up, or battlefields where little plastic soldiers go out and victories are won. And if you've ever been able to watch that kind of thing or seen it in your own family, uh, you know it's a delightful thing to watch. And it's sometimes embarrassing, isn't it, when you hear your own overly serious grown-up words coming out of the mouth of a four-year-old, or, sit down and finish your dinner said to a teddy and you think oh that sounds just like someone else in our house me or you hear the four-year-old saying to to someone else that doesn't seem very safe what are you doing put it down get all these kind of things going on and yet with all that joy david gibson in his little book destiny notes learning the difference learning the difference between the pretend world and the real one can be confusing It's confusing for all of us as we grow up, isn't it? Because in real hospitals, doctors can't always bandage away the damage. With real gossip, genuine pain can be inflicted. On real battlefields, it's not just plastic bodies that get knocked over. Growing up and maturing means facing some hard realities. And yet, I suspect for many people and for, for all of us at times... We're tempted to try and play a grown-up version of life in an imaginary world. We live pretending that we're building something we can always fix, will always last. And then that really devastating line in the poem by W.H. Auden, where it says, I thought love would last forever. I was wrong. I know I love playing games and pretending. I love all that kind of stuff. And life should be full, as far as I'm concerned, life should be full of games Growing up should know how to pretend. But if we're going to grow up, if we're going to mature as a church family, we also need to keep in mind life in the real world. We need to understand the real world and live at times in its confusing reality. And Paul's words that we're looking at this morning from 2 Corinthians will help us with that. And he's going to speak about a number of things. We're going to think about a number of things from these words. We're going to think about death. 
and about permanence and about maturity. And you hear what he's talking about as we begin. It's a bit of a shock. Because I think what he's saying is, look, dying, we long for permanence. So I'm going to die. And the reality is, it may happen, it may, be, it may happen before we're due to meet again. I've not had a diagnosis. I don't know that I'm ill. I hope it won't be that soon. But I'm going to die. And we don't like talking about it, but Paul does. And he says it in a kind of funny way here, doesn't he? If you have a look at verse 1, if you've got that open in front of you, he says this, For, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now, he's not talking about a trip to decathlon for some camping equipment. He's talking about death. And I think he's thinking something like this. When I was 16, some friends and I, we attempted to do the West Highland Way. It's a, it's a journey, a kind of hike, 100 miles from Glasgow to Fort William. We took tents with us. Day two of the journey, storms hit the west coast of Scotland, and 2 o'clock in the morning, our tent was blown down, <laughs> totally blown right off us. Everything collapsed, everything was soaked, it was all gone. And I think that kind of thing is behind Paul's thoughts. Because he knows that one day, sooner or later, a storm will hit all of us. And your body won't last. It won't last. That's the reality for all of us. But despite that reality, we all long for permanence. See verse 2? Even with all that going on, meanwhile, we groan. We groan longing to be clothed in self, instead with our heavenly dwelling. Weakening bodies, we don't like thinking about it. Son number one on holiday this year, we made it to the beach. And out comes the shout, come and help me. Sure, what are you doing? I'm building a wall of sand to stop the sea getting to our castle. Okay, I'll pitch in with that. But you know it's only going to go in one direction, don't you, at this point. Or Joan Collins... Now, the actress quoted as saying, the problem with beauty, the problem, don't you love when people talk like this? The problem with beauty, here it is, the problem with beauty is it's like being born rich and then becoming poor and beginning to know how she feels. (laughs) But we long for things to be permanent, don't we? We long for things to be permanent and fixed. And the writer to Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes in our, our first reading, he describes life as meaningless. And the word he uses, it's not so much without meaning. He, doesn't some, he isn't getting it, life doesn't have any meaning. It's more life is like a breath. It's like a puff of smoke. You know that way when you, you blow out a candle, maybe at a birthday or something else, you blow out a candle, and just for a second as the light goes out, there's that, that trail of smoke that comes up. And there's something real there. It really is there, but you, you try and hold on to it, and it just slips through your fingers. I remember sitting in school in 1976, a long time ago, long before Steve was born, probably. And I was asked by our teacher to work out how old I would be in the year 2000. And I did the maths and discovered I would be 30. And I still remember the feeling, sitting there as a five-year-old boy, thinking, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what that would be like to be 30. It's a distant memory. <laughs> it's a puff of smoke. Slips through your fingers. 
And yet Paul says, not only do we long for permanence, but this longing, you see where it's from? It's verse 5 of what he said here. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. The reason we hate death, the reason we hate it, is because it's not what we were made for. And the explanation the Bible gives for this part of our human experience is that as we've turned from God, rebelled against the author of life, we find that he rightly takes life back from us. We're under his judgment. And faced with death, we sometimes choose to live in a made-up world. We try and ignore death. We try to build permanence through, through families, through, through legacies that we want to leave, through projects. But Ecclesiastes says in the end, what do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? Nothing. It's a puff of smoke. It's meaningless. But then here we are as a church family, and, and we've heard again over these past two weeks, God has done something. He's come in the person of Jesus to take the penalty for our sin and give us the blessing of his life, an eternal life, a permanent life. And that's the thing Paul wants us to get about permanence. Permanent life is only God's gift. And see verse 1? You can't get it by grabbing at it for yourself. The thing we're looking for, permanence, a life you can keep. That's verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And Paul's saying, look, you you do have a permanent house. A life where your beauty won't fade. A building more secure than sand that won't be swept away. A candlelight that won't be snuffed out. And Paul says that kind of life is a gift from God. And it's saying here, look, this is the real world that we live in. And as a church family, we need to think hard about these things. Dying, we long for permanence. And permanent life is only a gift from God. And he's given that life through the good news about Jesus. This new life is yours if you're a Christian. A new home for you. But you've not moved in yet. So how are we to live? How are we to live as Christians? How are we to live as a, as a church family in light of these grown-up truths? What does maturity, what does growing up into these truths begin to look like? Well, here's a couple of things. As we look at verses 6 to 10, maturity is shaped by God's promises and by God's pleasure. Paul's saying, look, look permanent life, if it only comes as a gift of God through the good news about Jesus, well, then real life, growing mature life, it's got to be located in him. And so in verse 6 he says, therefore we're always confident. He means in the face of death, in the, the face, the harsh realities of this world, therefore we are always confident. And we know that as, as long as we're at home in the body, in this life, we're away from the Lord. He's saying to us, look, living here now, we still have the reality of death. And what we never do is we never pretend that it isn't sad or painful. But we don't cope by building a pretend world. No, verse 7, we live by faith, not by sight. 
that we're not in our permanent home yet. But we live life shaped by God's promises. We put our faith in his word. And then down in verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him. We're not in our permanent home yet, but we live life shaped by God's pleasure. And I think Paul there gives us a simple way of thinking about the content and character of Christian growth and Christian maturity. The kind of living that reflects if you've entered into the beginnings of this permanent life yet. We're not in our permanent home yet. We're not yet where we're going to be. But did you notice at the end of verse 5, it says a funny little thing. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. And then he writes this, who has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And as you think about that, you understand part of what Paul is saying there. What he's telling us about God. God's saying, look, before I take you to the permanent home I've made for you, I'll come and live temporarily in the home you've got now. That's what he's saying. Before I take you to the home I've got for you permanently, I'll come and live temporarily with you in your house now. He won't fix everything up yet. Bodies will weaken and wear out. But as he comes and you listen to him, he'll give you a real feel for what that life is going to be like. Paul says there will come a day, there will come a day when every life will be evaluated and judged. That's verse 10. He puts it like this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, For those who rejected God, ignored his offers of forgiveness, all that will be left for them is the fearful prospect of being rejected by God forever. But for Christians, uh, there will be questions, yes, graciously forgiven and saved, but how have you grown? How have you matured? I found, we've just moved into a new house, and I found a door in the garage leaning against the wall. It doesn't seem to be attached to anything in the house. Just a door left there. Had a look at it, wondered what it was for. Why would you leave a door? And then I looked, and I saw some lines drawn on it all the way up, and little dates, and little initials beside them, all of them going up increasingly. And then I realized it isn't a door is something much more fabulous than that. It's not a door that's been left in our garage. It is a glorious means of measuring and marking growth. That's what all those little lines are for. That's what the dates are about and the initials beside them. We've got a bit bigger. We're a little bit taller. And Paul, in these words, I think he's giving us a way of measuring and marking growth. Are we living shaped by God's word? Are we living lives directed towards God's pleasure throughout the week? Do you take time to listen to what God's word says? 
throughout the week? Are you making decisions? As you make decisions, are you thinking, would this please God? The way you speak to your spouse. The way you arrive at church on Sundays. The way you respond when someone wrongs you. If you were to measure yourself over the past year, have you grown an inch? Could you put another little mark? Your initials beside it? A temper. God's helped me with that. The way I think about other people. God's helped me with that. Because we draw these things together. Let's just have some things to ponder. As we head into year two, we're heading into year two of our five-year vision as a church family. Lots of exciting things hoped for and planned for. But good to remember some basic maturing ambitions for us as a church, individually and collectively. And mature activities to grow in, mature characteristics to grow in. Think about mature activities. We want, I think as a church family, we want everyone to be able to read the Bible and pray in a Christ-centered way for themselves and together. On Sunday, we're a people who want to hear God's Word, read God's Word, pray God's Word, and sing God's Word. That's what we want to do. And if we're to mature, we need to help each other grow in ability and commitment to be reading the Bible and praying. So when you hear us encouraging those activities, not droning on, it's because we want as a church family to mature. And the Bible says that's how we'll do it. Here's another thing. We, we want everyone to think and live in a Christ-centered way. Life is full of complexities, isn't it? Family, work, relationships, money, dying. Maturity means recognizing all of life is all for Christ. Therefore, as a church family, we're going to keep aiming to bring God's word and God's pleasure to bear on every area of life. Maturing as a church family, we'll be wanting to think hard about how we're living. In our small groups, talking with each other as we look at God's word. Special events we organize for men, for women, for families. The leadership course that runs, you might have been invited to. BCUK that Steve's been talking about. Thinking about being a Christian at work. Your whole life isn't contained within the activities that go on here on Sundays. But we want what goes on here to help us all live all of life, all for Christ. And we want you to be committed to that too, as a church family together. And we want everyone to give and serve in a Christ-centered way. That's one of the reasons why to help our maturity as a church family, we talk to you about, about finding a way to serve here if you've not done that already. And to join with others in contributing to the costs we have as a church family. Two of the things that we're tempted to hold too tightly, I think, is our, is our time and our money. Look, I'm Scottish. As soon as you mention money, I've got a congenital condition that makes me just tense up inside and immediately think, did I leave my wallet anywhere where someone can get access to it? I'm just tense about that kind of thing. But look, relax. Those of you who are Scottish here, relax. No one is asking for what you can't give. 
But I remember reading, and I think it was a Scottish minister who said this. These words, Jesus Christ is gloriously happy in being generous. And the following comment was this. When he asks you to be generous, it's not your money or your time he wants. It's your happiness. It's your joy in him. We want to be a church that matures in activities like that. We live by faith, not by sight. And we make it our aim to please him. Let's pray.